Good morning. I do not even pretend to fill Sharon's shoes. <laughs> okay. Um, I know she always she always shares uh, an opening scripture and some things that the Lord had. Um, and I have this book um, that I have a page that I'm going to read out of um, and has a scripture. And I think um, since we have so many concerns in the church right now um, uh, or in the community with things going on with people, that this was uh, appropriate. Since there is a suffering that pushes us beyond self-determination, no matter how we try to bootstrap our way to victory, we come up short. The trite cannot touch it. The untried cannot affect it. When we arrive in that place, agony makes us question God's reality. In the dark, with our terrifying questions, our songs, quotes, and cliches don't hold up. God's silence seems to speak to his absence. We cry out in fear, where is God? Countries and governments, communities and families have been torn in two by differing answers to this question. It's a high stakes conundrum holding things like justice and meaning and purpose in its grip. But what if God isn't absent in our struggle but fully present in it? And what if we could collect enough evidence of his presence to bring relief to our pain and anchor our faith outside the reach of it? Hidden in the dusty pages of the Old Testament sits the story of a young leader named Joshua, an aide to the late Israelite deliverer Moses. Joshua found himself the new leader of God's people. It was a daunting task to slip into Moses' enormous sandals and then to lead God's people to the promised land of Israel. Joshua needed help, and God gave it to him. In Joshua 1, verses 2 and verse 5, uh, Moses, it says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give them. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. When Joshua needed courage, God promised himself. Joshua didn't need more weapons or wisdom. He needed presence. So Lord, I just pray this morning for more of your presence. Lord, where we're seeking for other things, or Lord, we're even trying to war on our, out of our own flesh. And Lord, all we need is to know you're there and you're with us. You're walking with us. You're filling us. And Lord, I just ask for more of your presence today in this service, more of your presence in each individual in this church body or connected to this church body or community in some way. Lord, the needs that have been spoken openly from this pulpit, and Lord, the needs that have been uh, not spoken and are silent in someone's heart and mind, but you know them. And God, I just pray um, that you would make us more aware of your presence to us in, in here and to these needs. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. Good morning, everybody. Uh, you're all familiar with who I am. If not, some of you new people. I'm Stan, one of the board members here. And uh, this morning, I want to speak on the last time I was here. If you haven't been here, the last time I was here, I spoke about uh, uh, some of the things that are like are undercover. It's a book that I have read. I've read some into it. And it's how when you're undercover, you're under a protection, okay? Whether you use an umbrella from the rain, it's the protection from the weather, and whether you, whatever comes under that protection is under a cover. And God's protection, we had seen where uh, he actually, he protects us when we're in his kingdom. And what we had seen was how, how we can be deceived, Satan deceived Eve, and I had pointed out in the last time, was he got her to doubt, is what he said with the eating of the fruit. Okay, He's, And one of his deceptive ways was, being she wasn't told directly from God, she was told from her husband, She he said, now, did God really say that you weren't to eat it or touch it? Remember, there's no mention of touching. He threw that in there. Okay, just to get her to doubt. But anyways, it was a lure to get her off of, uh, away from God, to get her to doubt. Okay, so anyways, as we, as 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 I taught the last time, we seen how, that's how she was deceived was because he just got her to doubt, and she reasoned it in her mind. She felt that, why not? So she took. A bite. Actually, it was a direct order. Okay. So, anyways, as we moved on, I also gave you a scenario of how uh, it may not be blatantly something that you see that is sin. You know, remember I said the guy had bought an ox and wanted to do the oxen, but he, you know, he said, "Hey, listen." The one guy, the one guy didn't say, "Hey, listen." Uh, I, I bought this piece of property and. I'm going to throw a kicking party. I've got a fifth of vodka. Then I want to go and I want to share it with others. That's blatantly, you're going to say, that's wrong. But here God invited them to the supper. They gave excuses that you and I would say, well, yeah, he bought a piece of property. He wants to go see it. Okay, what's wrong with that? The other one said, you know, I'm having an affair with my secretary and we're going to Vegas on a uh, uh, uh on, on a retreat and everything. That's not what it was. The guy was getting married and wanted to spend time with his spouse. We would accept the fact that he's a new way. Okay? So those were things that, 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 that in the Bible that God said that he invited them. He wanted them to come to the, to the supper and they gave excuses. They might not have been plain, might not have been put out like I had said that he was having an affair, but we accepted that the guy was going to get married, but no, God said, this is what I want you to do. we got to remember, we got to do what God tells us that we have to do. So anyways, as we go on, uh, Satan, you know, we, had, we, have, we see that Satan had deceived her with, and I, with all the meals and everything. Uh, but this morning, I want to begin with a story in the Bible, and it's actually in Numbers 22. And it was actually about King uh, Balak and... Uh, 
and uh, the other guy was, uh, boy, boy, my mind's going blank, uh, Balaam. Balak and Balaam. Balak was actually a king of the Moabites and the Midians, and as they were coming out of the, uh, as they were coming out of Egypt and they were and they had crossed through the sea and they come on to uh, another territory they had just uh, conquered. Uh, they had conquered the Amorites in Bashan. They, you know, the reason the Amorites they wouldn't give them permission, so God went ahead and gave them, told them, you know, go to war against them. Got to remember, God told them that I'm going to go with you. I'm going to send the fear of the Lord with them. Okay, so anyways. Uh, he destroyed them because they refused them uh, through the territory. The Israelites camped in the plains of Moab. Balak and his people, he led the Moabites and the Midianites, were worried. Okay, The reason why Balak was worried, he seen how big they were. And the other thing of it is, is God also said that he would send his spear ahead of them. Okay, So what it means is... is uh, uh, he promised, he said, I will send my fear before you and I will give you, and I will confuse uh, your enemies among you, the people whom uh, you come in. Exodus 23, 7 clearly states it. They knew the Israelites had conquered each nation that opposed them. Remember what he did in the Red Sea. You know, he destroyed the Egyptians. Okay, and But like I said, I want to go on King Balaam. Uh, he, he couldn't figure out what he was going to do. He was worried. Actually, in the scriptures, it said that he feared because they were going to, he said, they are going to totally destroy them like an oxen licks up the grass, okay? He knew that he had to do something. So he came up with this plan that he thought, I'll get Balaam. Balaam was a prophet of God. He was a prophet, okay? And he knew that whatever Balaam said, if he said that Balaam blessed someone, they were blessed, and if they cursed them, he, they were cursed. So what ended up happening was Balaam, uh, he sent a group of people to Balaam. And he said, wanted to invite them to come. And the first on the first one, Balaam did not come. He asked God and God said, do not go. Whatever you do, don't go and bless these people. So they went back and he, he actually told them in the Bible, he told them to spend the night there he would inquire God, and God said, and he would give him an answer in the morning. And actually, God did come to him in the night and said, who are these people? And he said, they asked me to come, to go, and bless these people that are in their land. And God said, do not do that. Do not go. Okay? So they sent word back, and they went back to the king and told Balaam, or Balak, they said, we can't, you know, he can't, he ain't going to come. So that wasn't good enough for him. He wanted these people he, that's the only way he could think to, to, to defeat them is to bring a curse upon them and then he could possibly defeat them. So what ended up happening was Balak sent other ambassadors. And this time I think what he did, it, it, that I'm processing it, was he sent people to him that were high officials and he told them that, you know, tell them that he would give them anything. They enticed him with things that he, 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 he wanted, okay? It actually clearly says, the word of God says that Balaam was a lover of money, okay? So I believe Satan worked through that 
he, he knew how to target this. And But anyways, remember, God told him not to. Okay, He chose to go. So he goes, and when he gets there, Balak meets him, and he takes him, and he says, hey, listen, I want you to uh, curse these people. And so Balaam, he takes him up on this part of this mountain, and he's looking, and he's only seeing part of the whole Israelites, okay? There was a lot. I'm telling you, when they come out, there was a pile of Israelites. And they could only see a portion of it. And he said, okay. And they got the sacrifices, and they offered, you know, they went up, and he, he said, prepare me a sacrifice, and these are the things that I need. They prepared the sacrifices, and he had, you know, they had this sacrifice. And then what ends up happening is, is Balaam actually begins to bless them. He, he, he actually gives them a blessing and not a curse. And Balak's like, what are you doing? I brought you here to curse them and not to, not to uh, bless them. You know, you're not here for the real reasons. I want to point out another interesting thing that God, when you come under, God actually said that if you curse them, I'll, that curse will turn back on you. John Bevere said in a book that he had an attendant one time that, that was in his ministry. There was a, a lady, that, a young lady that was in the church, and she actually was a witch in, like in her high school. She was actually the lead witch. And one of his attendants was speaking with her, and she was actually telling you know, about, you know, she had come to know Jesus Christ, but, but she was sharing some of her past, and she said, uh, she told him, she said, you know that we can't place curses on Christians. And he said, wow, he didn't realize that. And he's like, why not? And she said, because if we place a curse on a Christian, it'll come back on us. That, so that even they knew that they couldn't touch God, God's people. And that should really excite you to the day because when you're saved and you are even, uh, it's when God, you know, you're under God's protection. He can't be touched. Okay? Just like Lynette said this morning, He goes before us. Okay? He's going to fight our battles. And there's, and, and there's a lot of opposition. If you look at today, the things that are out there, there's a lot of things that can deter us off. Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. There's a lot of things. There's social media. I'm not setting, saying that I'm against social media. But what I'm trying to say is, is some of the comments that we make on them, we have to, who are we representing here? We're representing Jesus Christ, okay? And I, I don't want to pick on one thing, but I want to say this here. There's enough out in, that, in this world that we need to stay focused on the Word of God and how we live our lives, Okay? And here, what we're gonna we're gonna continue on, but I wanted to point that out that, that God had their back. So, anyways, to continue on, Balaam's like, okay, let's go a little bit higher. Maybe he's not seeing the whole Israelites. Let's just go a little wee bit higher. So they move up higher, and sure enough, they offer another set of sacrifices and everything. And the same thing happens whenever Balak opens his mouth. He only gives a blessing. He never gives a curse. 
Okay, and this goes on. As, as you read Numbers 22, 23, and 24, it gives how all this transpired. What happened was, during this process, uh, Balak, it begins to become angry. He's realizing it ain't happening, okay? So finally he says, listen, I've had enough. Get out of here. Go back to your homeland. You're not getting a blessing. I was going to bountifully bless you. Okay, he was going to make his name famous. Everything that he desired, that's what the king was going to do. But he said, go home. Well, Balaam, that who he was, was like, okay. He realizes he, he's not going to get nothing. So he comes, up with this, he comes up with this idea that I say Satan told him what to do. He said, you got to remember, when you're under the covering of God, they can't touch you. But when you come out of the covering of God, they can. And how he got them to come out of, how he got some of them to come out from under that covering, he said, have your Midianite women, have them go in and infiltrate the camp of the Israelites, take your idols, offer your sacrifices, entice them. And what ended up happening is they chose, some of the men chose. And it was actually sexual immorality is what they did. It was prostitution, okay? The men that were in the camp, some of them decided that they were enticed. And I believe this here. You've got to remember, the enemy does this not just to... It, it wasn't like, okay, here's these women. I believe the king, when he realized that he could draw them out, that they could curse themselves, because Balaam told him this is how it would happen, that's the way you can do it. I really believe what ended up happening was is he didn't he sent probably the best ladies that he had, okay, and he sent the offerings and the and the gift. And it even says in the Bible that they began to eat the sacrifices. That was something that they weren't allowed to do. You weren't you didn't eat sacrifice to to Baal. They actually offered sacrifices to Baal, bowed down and worshipped them. The Bible says, and they had sexual relations. God's anger burned against them. Okay? He realized, okay, it burned against them. You know, that day, God sent a plague through there. 24,000 people were died. They got killed that day. You know, there are, today, if there's a plane crash, do you realize the news media that if there's just one plane crash that something happens that, that goes on, but yet there was 24,000? If that happened today, can you imagine what would happen? Really? So anyways, so it happened. But what ended up happening was, they. it says in here that uh, Venus was one of Aaron's, would have been Aaron's grandsons. He was a priest. And he seen one of the men in the camp coming, okay, with this woman in broad daylight. It didn't matter to him. They're sitting there repenting to God you know, wanting to, you know, they're, they're sitting there and they're weeping to God, crying out to God, you know, for this plague. And what ends up happening, he sees this man, this Israelite, with this here woman from the, one of the Midianite women, and he actually watches them, and it just, he didn't care. He was just, he was walking through, he was going to do whatever he wanted. He goes into his tent, and it says that Venus grabbed the spear, he took that spear, and he went into that tent, and he run that spear right through the guy, right in to the back of that lady, killed them both. 
That stopped the plague. Why was it? Because disobedience started it. But it was, he was jealous. It said he was zealous for the Lord as to what was happening. And he went and he put it, because that's what was causing all this to happen. When he did that, the plague stopped. It, it actually stopped, okay? And it's like, wow, you know, where do you see how things of the world, that if God tells us not to do something, and we end up doing it. What did God tell them? You don't have any other God before me. Okay? But here, they were lured. They were, they were deceived. Deception. Lawlessness. It's witchcraft. Okay? John Bevere even said in there that when you're, when you're a Christian, you ought to be able, you should hoot and holler knowing Satan ain't got no hold on you. He can't have a hold when you decide not to do what God says. Okay? Uh, but anyways... Uh, I want to continue on. I there there was a couple stories in here, and and the reason why I I I want to give these stories to you, it's I want you to I think today God wants us to examine ourselves. Okay, some of these things that are happening may not be happening to you, but let's not lose focus of the fact: Are we following God? Are we doing what God wants us to do? If not. Some of these things can happen. It, it, the, the events that I'm going to share with you. And do for time's sakes. And I can read very well, but I can't speak it very well. So I've asked the lovely attendant, <laughs> my daughter Malia, to come up here. And I want you to hear the story as to what's happening here. And as soon as I find it, uh, this one here is a very, very good story and it's actually a true story and I've asked Melina to go ahead and she can start reading here all the way to there right to yeah to the end yep. of the chapter yep. what he doesn't know is I didn't bring my glasses so here we go yes that was a help <laughs> um, so I recall an incident where someone did learn I had the honor of ministering regularly at an international ministry that consisted of a church and Bible school. I loved and respected this ministry that had impacted my life. One day, a leader of the ministry called and told me, John, I'm calling all the close friends of this ministry to tell them what is about to happen so they don't hear it from other sources. I need to tell you I'm divorcing my spouse. We've been married for 18 years and seem to be going separate directions in our thinking and outlook in our life. We don't do things together as a couple. And, and what we like is just so different. We have tried for years to improve, and it has only gotten worse. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. I kept thinking, no, please don't do this. I love this couple and their ministry. I was so shocked, I was speechless. In my silence, this person continued. Now, John, you know, I love Jesus very much, and I'm going the wrong, if I'm doing the wrong thing, He'll show me. This ministry talked with this minister talked with me about the situation a few more minutes and then ended the phone call. I had said very little because I was still taking it all in. All day long I couldn't shake what I heard. I rehearsed the words again and again. I thought, this seems like a bad dream. In the midst of my troubled thoughts, I sensed the Holy Spirit telling me to call this person back and speak the truth. The next morning I made the call. I had slept in, I'd slept on it, so I wouldn't appear reactionary. 
But as a spirit-led response, upon recognizing my voice, the minister asked, Hi, John. What's up? I began, I want to talk with you some more about the divorce. Has there been any immorality on the part of your spouse? The response was, absolutely not. I then said, what are you, what you are doing is wrong. Jesus made it clear that the only reason to consider a divorce is sexual unfaithfulness, Matthew 5.32. And the book of Malachi tells us that God hates divorce because it covers our garments with violence, 2.16. You said to me yesterday that you love Jesus, and if you were doing the wrong thing, he would show you. But he should... But why should he show you when he already made it clear through his word what his will is? How can you willfully go against the, what God has declared? If you do this, how can you stand before your congregation or Bible school and tell them to walk holiness by re resisting sin or devils? You are opening yourself and your ministry to trouble and deception. The minister interrupted me and said sternly, John Bevere, You've not walked in my steps, and you have no compassion. The next thing I heard was the receiver on the phone slamming down. The minister had hung up on me. Thirty minutes later, I received word from my office that, I had been, that I'd been canceled. I was scheduled to go there in three months. I told my wife, I know what they do this, but not so soon. All communication was completely cut off, and later another minister who had passed through there had told me my name was Mud. I kept all I was trying to do was to be a true friend. To my surprise, several months later, I received a call from the minister. John, I need to have a heart-to-heart -heart with you. Do you know what happened after I hung up on the phone and canceled you? Well, one month later, my kidneys failed, and I was given a 50% chance of survival. After a second dialysis, I awoke and said to myself, what am I, getting a, what am I doing getting a divorce? I realized I was very wrong. My kidney failure was a wake-up call. I called my spouse and repented. I went before the church and the Bible school and repented. I told the Bible school, I canceled John Bevere because he told me I was wrong to divorce. I'm going to call him and see if he'll come back. So, John, would you please come back? Of course. I responded. I was excited for this person, and my respect for the ministry grew immensely. In addition to all this, the recovery was much faster than expected, and a perfect kidney match was found and a donor a year later. The ministry didn't miss one service. The person's progress astounded the doctors. Also, with this repentance, a greater spiritual authority and strength came into the ministry's life. Now, years later, this person leads them more effectively than ever before and is sought-after speaker with very hot, happy family. Every time I am with this couple, it's easy to see their love for each other, and I would let you know a few previous years there were steps away from divorce. Okay, what I want to bring uh, to recognition here is this here is, is, okay, what he thought was, he thought in his mind he was doing the right thing, okay? Even though what we wanted to see is his God word clearly stated, he said in the back that he hates divorce, okay? And that it, 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 it okay, there was two passages in here that said what it does, okay? In this instance, God... Well, he, he stepped outside of that protection. And what ended up happening was, is by stepping outside of that protection, it allowed curses to come upon him. And we see that there was attack on his kidneys, okay? And it's, I'm not saying that every event, when you step outside like that, that you're going to get sick or anything. 
But you can be assured that there's going to be something wrong coming in your life because there is consequences for disobeying God. Okay? I, I just want to clearly state that. I'm going to have her read one more. And this is actually from John Bevere, some instances that happened in his life. I want you to pay attention to these ones here are just some things that we commonly don't do in life. We think that it's okay because we are enticed just the same way Balaam enticed, uh, Balak was, Balak was enticed by Balaam, or Balaam was enticed by Balak for the money and stuff. He took that. We want to see that one. Step one. This one here, we see he has the word of God right in front of him. Doesn't realize that, hey, this is wrong. You know, he said, if God, if God wants me to know, he'll tell me. John Bevere said, no, you don't understand. He doesn't have to speak to you. It's in the Word of God. So anyways, let's finish up here. Let's get to the last one, and then we'll finish up. We'll pray, and then we'll be finished, okay? It was easier for me not to judge the minister, for I had gone through a similar experience a few years earlier. I wasn't with, it wasn't with my marriage, but with an area of disobedience in the ministry. When we first found John Bevere Ministries, the Lord gave us a clear directive not to accept any opportunity for the ministry just because it looked good until we first knew his will. Well, a few years passed, and what appeared to be a great opportunity arose for our ministry to expand. Yet in prayer, God was clearly saying no to my wife and me separately. We were not to accept the offer. However, the offer was made persistently, and I was flattered. So I listened. I was, it wasn't a long time before I began to reason away the word that God had impressed on my heart. I became confused, and my mind became clouded with all the words. My wife tried to counsel me against it, but quickly I realized I would not be convinced otherwise. I ended up accepting the proposal. Since I've been saved, I've been blessed with virtually no sickness or health problems. To God be the glory. I rarely catch anything, and if I do, it's gone in 24 to 36 hours. I believe Jesus provided divine healing as well as forgiveness for sins when he died on the cross. But on that day, I moved forward with this opportunity. I became sick and couldn't shake it. It started out as the flu. I threw up for the second time since I was 19. After several days of battling the flu, I caught a virus. My wife and I had gone out of town to celebrate our anniversary, and for, and for days my temperature hovered over 100 degrees and ruined our vacation. At the close of the week, I preached while suffering from a fever and chills. The fever dragged on to the next week during the meeting in Canada. I preached with a high fever, only to return to my room and shiver in bed until the next service. I had very little strength. The fever continued to hold for three weeks. We couldn't understand what was happening. I'd never fought sickness like that. I prayed and fought using the word of God, but I couldn't shake it. I went to the doctor. He prescribed a strong antibiotic, and soon I was back to normal. But a week after finishing the antibiotic, I got a severe head cold, the kind that drained all your strength. I was miserable, sore throat, stuffed head, and all other annoying conditions. It dragged on for weeks as I continued to minister. After receiving or recovering from my head cold, I injured my knee climbing a wall overseas. I was so severe, I was in a wheelchair in my travels and limped with a brace for several weeks after that. At the end of this, I was hit with another virus. My temperature rose to 101 to 102 degrees, and again, I couldn't shake it. 
Again, I had to get a prescription to get over it. It seemed I couldn't go more, more than a week without some kind of infirmity. The cycle lasted three and a half months. Through all my illness, my wife did not become sick, not even once. Besides the physical problems, numerous other problems arose. I was in a struggle with an opponent who seemed not to budge because he was more powerful than I was. My willful disobedience brought me utter curse. Four months passed, and I admitted my sin. However, I still had to deal with my commitment, and if there wasn't a miraculous intervention, I saw no way out. Lisa and I joined hands. I repented and asked for God's mercy, and he told, he got us out of the long-term commitment it, it, I'd ensnared us in. A few months later, my wife and I discussed all that had transpired, and we linked all my sickness to my disobedience. We realized as soon as I repented, my previous good health was restored, the other problems that had loomed over us were resolved and disappeared. In, a in that time period, the word of James became clear to me. I had frequently quoted the words, Resist the devil and he will flee from you, James 4.7. In the past, if I sensed an attack, I passionately resisted the darkness with the word of God had al and always saw results. Yet that time, I got nowhere. When I came through it, I realized I was quoting only half of what James was saying. Therefore, Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. 4-7. We resisted the devil by disobediently submitting to God's authority. We can quote scripture until we are blue in the face, but if we are in disobedience, we will not see results. Thank you. <clears throat> so what we're seeing here is we've seen two scenarios, okay? And uh, what I believe God's saying is that sometimes in our life, not just sometimes, but all times. We should be seeking Him first for the direction He wants us to go in. And we should obey what He's saying. I said earlier, it may not always be where God's going to tell you, but it, it is in the Word of God. And it tells us. We don't want to neglect them both. And we see here where John, that the enemy, it, when we disobey, it brings curses upon us. Okay? And, you know, even like I, I always said that, uh, I, I even always went back to Job, you know. I always like to point this out. You ever notice that Job, when Satan wanted God's hand to be lifted from him, God said you can do anything to him, but you cannot touch him, take his life. You ever notice that he took his children, but he never took his wife? Why was that? I believe the Word of God says this. When you are joined together as one, that covering goes to that other person too. Okay? And what I'm saying, and, and what, what the point I'm trying to make here is that God always, you know, in, in relevance to that, God said, what I've joined together. You, a, a person leaves their son, their father and mother, and they become one. Okay? So, now, with John's instance, Lisa was against it. He wanted to go and have that ministry. Okay? He brought that curse upon himself. Notice it didn't happen to her. She was dead set against it. She didn't agree upon it. It said earlier in there that she wasn't. And what I'm saying to today, and when we finish up, you know, I'm not saying you're having those troubles. I'm not. But what I'm saying is, is this. is, I believe God wants us to examine you to examine your heart. Has there been any areas 
or you've been disobedient to him. And is there areas maybe you, maybe you're seeing some effects of that disobedience? What he's saying today is, is you can be released from that. What did John do? He repented. What did the preacher do? He repented. What did Venus do? He killed the woman. His, jealous, his zealousness for the Lord stopped that plague and curse. So if you're having anything or you know people that are having problems, I mean, I'm not saying they're having problems, but this is the, what you want to share with them. You want to show them that God's for them. When you're under God's care, you're not under the curse. But you can't choose to step out from that curse. It's all up to you. So let us pray. Father God, we just thank you for your word today, Lord. We thank you, Father God, that uh, that there are instances that, Father God, that we brought out that show ways that the enemy is attacking us. And you're here to say that that repentance, if it was done, if not, you're sharing your word that says, keep my word within you and the protection will be there. Father God, we just thank you for that, Lord. And I ask that today, Lord, that if there's any here, Father God, that, that have that, that they would repent of it. And that, Lord, that, that, Lord, that they would search their hearts as well as I'm searching mine. I'm not saying, Lord, that this is for someone here. This is for me as well, Lord. Lord, and if there's any areas, Lord, I repent of that. And I thank you, Father God, for this day. Lord, as we also pray for Pastor Steve and Becky and the kids, Lord, as where they're at, Lord, we pray, Father God, for a day of enjoyment. Father God, may you bless them richly, highly, Father God. Lord, May they see your blessing, Father God, throughout the day. May each and every one of us that are in here, Father God, see your blessing, Father God, each and every day, Father God, as we look to you. I thank you for that. In Jesus' precious name, amen.